Hi and welcome. My name is Josh Stone and welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. The Ignite podcast is dedicated purely to the engineering and construction industry. Join me as I interview serious change makers, leaders and business owners who are creating significant shifts in the industry, leading inspired teams, running successful businesses and in general, making big things happen. As the old saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This podcast is all about bringing like-minded change makers, leaders, and business owners in the engineering and construction industry together to share their stories, their strategies, their ideas, and their mindset on what's working for them right now in order to help you learn from the best to implement and to grow as well. Now, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. In the meantime, hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. Today, I'm being joined by Lauren Hickey. Lauren, awesome to have you on the call. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. So, I mean, for everyone who's been hiding under a rock for the last 10 or 15 years, um, maybe tell us a bit about you and your journey so far. Uh, Sure. So, um, Lauren Hickey, I am currently the pre-contracts manager uh, for John Holland Infrastructure Team here. So, currently looking after um, Queensland, Northern Territory, Victoria, South Australia and Tasmania. Um, So, Pretty basically a national role, which which is um, yeah. is all consuming. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess for me, I entered into into construction, like you say, probably about fifteen years ago, um, coming in with a marketing degree. And then um, once I entered into into this sort of world that we we now know, that's when I um, took on an engineering degree um, to essentially, I guess, learn the language that was being. Yep. Be- spoken around me and um and I had realized that I did quite like the industry I liked um the different different aspects and and um and functions that I was seeing and that there was probably a pathway there for me so have been able to sort of marry together that kind of marketing public relations um element in with the technical and turn that into into sort of this pre-contracts role which is essentially responsible for every tender that we put out um, that, that comes out of this office. So every work winning opportunity that we we try to develop for the business. Yeah, awesome. And so your role obviously in national, so everything comes through you and your team from a from a tendering point of view? Yeah. So we also have a general manager that sits above me at this um, in this structure that we're currently in. But yep. essentially my role is to is to help support our individual bid managers as they yep. pursue the work with with the teams below them. So these are these are a mixed bag of people generally. It's not sort of all one type of person. There's all um, different types. Some some like me, less less technical. Some highly technical. Um, but it's really sort of a project management role in, in the case that you're pulling all these different um, elements together that we need to essentially work out how we're going to build the job, yep. price it, make sure that we hand it over to the delivery team in a way that they're not going to um, you know put themselves under any stress and, and be able to make some good good money out of that um, for ourselves and also to ensure our clients can have a good experience um, because if, if we're in, in pain, then um, unfortunately everyone becomes in pain and vice versa. <laughs> we need to make sure that we, we get that right and these bid managers can essentially have teams of, of more than 100 people reporting to them 
um, throughout the tender. And tenders can go for, you know, six months um, and and beyond depending on the size of the project and the type of client and or delivery model. So essentially we build these little teams um, for these these periods of time and they either transfer onto the delivery of the project or move, move forward, stay in like that bidding phase and go to the next job. So I essentially support those bid managers to make sure that we're um, doing a good job. But also we have, um, and this is very typical of all tier one contractors, to have very um, stringent governance process that we, we need to push all these tenders through uh, to make sure that all the, the people who sign on the dotted line at the end of the day to commit to that contract are able to, to do so with, with a great deal of confidence. And so we spend a lot of time um, instilling that confidence in our management team. So it's a great um, role in terms of, I suppose, exposure in, within the corporate sort of beast um, and and being able to build confidence in talking in front of those type of people and, and getting them to, to realise sort of the level of effort you've been to um, to put together a great tender. Um, and then the proof's in the pudding. You hand it over to the delivery team and you and you sort of wait and, and, and hope you got everything right. And, I mean, you won't have. And it's not it's not the delivery team's nature to let you know that you did. Um, so yes. I often like to tell you that, um, what you missed and what you got wrong, but you um, can quickly remind them of all the things you picked up for them as well. So <laughs> it's it's good and it's it's great. Um, it's a great role uh, for people who either have come out of that um, site based experience and, may, and maybe want to come in into the office. It still can be um, pretty hectic, but it is kind of a um, you get to go home each night um yep. sometimes we don't always make it home if it's a, if it's submission day but um it is it is a good role in in that that you need you get to use sort of many different facets of your of your brain power i think yeah good um and i guess with our convo today like i'm keen to sort of start broader like maybe have a chat about where you know you sort of see the industry going talking a bit about leadership within your organization as well as sort of your journey to date but then also yeah curious to dive into you, your future, what, what the plans are, that kind of thing. So um, I guess, yeah, like to the industry, obviously it's been a crazy ride the last sort of two years coming through COVID, but where do you mm-hmm. sort of see, um, you know, the industry going over the next sort of 12 to 24 months? I think in that that sort of that shorter, shorter term of that one to two years, it's probably going to be what we actually really need to see in particular in Queensland is um, a lot of this, Olympics enabling infrastructure getting on foot mm-hmm. now um, because if we only have sort of 10 years to deliver this work, um, assuming perhaps it hasn't already come through the normal channels of business case and those sorts of elements that we see before a job comes to market, um, we really need to be getting going so that we can um, have those projects awarded and then into delivery um, so they can be completed by that time. So I, I do think that is a focus of the government currently and, and that that's of the state government and that seems to be um, what we'll see over the next 12 to 24 here um, in Queensland. For, for the other states, it's still got a lot of what we've in some sense lacked up here in Queensland is um, those mega projects or what we term a mega project, which um, typically is sort of like that greater than $1.5 billion, which yeah, pretty big. Down <laughs> south, have seen have seen a lot of that, and um, really, what what my experience has been in larger um, construction companies when you start to get those megas underfoot, they become this beast of their own or this business unit essentially of their own. They have huge teams, huge um, 
bid budgets, essentially, you know, tens of millions of dollars um, that need to be managed and managed well and then hopefully turned into the delivery of that project. So they can be all-consuming for various um, teams and, and we, we create joint ventures with other um, like-minded and similar-sized companies and so they can really take a huge chunk out of our industry very quickly and we have multiple yeah. on the go at any one time. What the trick is essentially, and this is why a national structure works well for these sort of organisations, is balancing that out with what we would probably call business as usual jobs, which depending on the size of your organisation, um, you know, that kind of maybe it's up to 100 million, maybe that's your focus, that's your bread and butter type of thing. Um, yep. For us, it's probably more between that couple of hundred million up to say a billion, that would be a better or not better is the wrong word, but um, sustainable place for you to be ensuring that you are still actively engaging with the market. And I guess that's the trick when you do have these all-consuming mega bids that you absolutely want to be working on because they're city-shaping, they're nation-building jobs, um, to have those on your corporate CV, on individual CVs, you're creating careers for people in it, and it's really exciting. But if you're only focusing on that spot all the time, what you'll miss out on is creating more careers for more people in those smaller, I know they're pretty big numbers, <laughs> yeah. but in those smaller um, projects where you can have maybe a little bit more of a junior project manager gets that opportunity to lead a, a, a job that that's 200 million or something like that, create a team within um, that person and then they'll, they can then go on to be sort of three to five years that next um, mega project project director um, but not everybody wants that as well so you need to create um, a balance in your portfolio as a as an employer to allow all different types of people to join the industry because we have this 12 12 months 24 months like you mentioned the skills shortage can't be fixed in that time no. so you know it's a long burn that that problem and um and whilst we should absolutely be actively trying to do something about it, we've still got who we've got, right? And we're only going to get who's already in the system, if you if that makes sense. Yeah. And then we look to like three, five, ten years out, we absolutely need to be doing all the groundwork to get more people back out into our or through the system and out into the, our workforce so that we can we can probably meet the demand of the pipeline that's coming for us in that time. Um, I mean, you will hear so much data and so much evidence about the growing population, but also just the various bottlenecks and the things that just currently aren't working. Um, I mean, we see in the news today what's happening at the airports. And I mean, that's a very point in time kind of um, issue. But it is reflective <clears throat> of many different sets of assets or infrastructure that we're currently trying to um, either sweat, so as in um, keep the same amount we've currently got and make it more efficient, um, or expand. And to expand without the sort of horsepower that you need to do that, either, either like labour resources or the end operator of that thing, how are we going to do that if we don't, if we don't have the people? And then what we're and everyone loves talking about this, so I better mention it, sort of sustainability and the ESG kind of piece that we're going to be coming yeah. into in Australia. Like that's longer away, right? Yeah. But in terms of where I sit in the supply chain, I suppose, in terms of actually building that thing, we still need 
all the super smart people to work out what it is and how that works. And we've got great um, avenues for funding currently very interested in that. And we need to capitalise on that right now by showing that we have the people, the will, the smarts, the technology, and then at the end of the day, this bulk group of people that can actually get it done for you um, so that we can get that investment now and we can be at the forefront because we will miss it. Well, we will miss being at the forefront, which that it brings so much benefit. And I know there's benefit in hindsight as well, and, and you can always capitalise on that. But for what it would do for a domestic and then eventually an international market in those kind of hydrogen, but also even more, I can say, simple, like um, hydro and the other kind of renewable energies that we're doing a lot, a lot of now, um, we need to just be ticking all the boxes as being at the front of that as opposed to just jumping on a little bit late. Yeah, and tell me, t- yeah, tell me more about that. Like I'm curious about, so I work with a lot of different clients across a lot of different industries and this whole sort of renewable space is very exciting and there's a lot of discussion around um, being, you know, uh, being seen as being active, being seen as being at the forefront, like why, in your opinion, is it important to be at the forefront of something like that? Because I just think it's probably more, for me, in the domestic sense, it will be okay in the end, depending how we how we get there. But it's probably more that international market um, that we may, if we're behind, I don't know that we'll necessarily be able to catch up when some True. other of these nations that are already maybe moving forward and maybe they're not moving forward more quickly than we could be, but they probably have a clearer pathway. And that's not that's not um that's not nothing against sort of the the governance that we have from our government in getting these type of things up. So obviously we have process policy what's typically called your red and green tape right yep. um and we need to get through that and i asked this question very recently of, of someone quite senior in this space um how do we compete like on the precious metals stuff right that, that we absolutely have um a, a good um or really you could probably say an abundance of in australia if we can extract um, these more precious metals, then um, then great, we'll be at the forefront of a lot of that kind of um, technology um, building elements that are required for this next step of what we're going to see in in, in this storage of this um, of these new types of of energy that we're going to be extracting, we're going to be developing. But the other um, or the two, like say, if we're the third in the world of the actual. Um, quantity of these of these um, uh, precious metals or, or whatever um, the correct term is, which I can't think of right now. That's <laughs> okay. Um, they're, they're more uh, developing countries that hold yeah, got you. those other deposits, that's the word. Um, and so how do we as Australia in a reasonably expensive nation to extract minerals um, in terms of just our labour force gets paid, um, well, we have standards that we need to meet and all those those good things as, as good members of society or of a world society should have, which perhaps our competitor, if you think of it against these deposits, does not have and therefore will have a cheaper outcome at the end of the day for that international purchase. 
Um, so how do we actually compete with that? And, and it was a good answer that I got back, which was essentially that, um, but I probably need to think about it a little bit more, is essentially that that governance process will, will help us because people want to purchase um, sustainable energy under a good, you know, think globally, act locally kind of structure. So if we're extracting um, in a very socially responsible way and an environmentally responsible way, then therefore the other big nations should want to purchase that from us because we are doing it in the way, not in maybe a more of a smash and grab kind of kind of um, way that would actually be cheaper, but perhaps not better on that global scale. So I think that's interesting. interesting. Yeah. I think it's probably... A good answer, but we probably need to marry it up with with a good competitive price point as well, and yeah. how we actually pr- drive that price point without, um, but still being um, doing the right thing by our people and the resources that we need to get there. So it's got to be a balance there, and I guess I'm just concerned that that might take us a while to identify that kind of um, unique selling point which is the marrying of that competitive price and also that social responsibility element when, you know, Congo or um, the other um, South American and South Af- and the African nations that have these um, deposits also perhaps are just going ahead and doing it. Yeah, super interesting. And you're right, like it's got to be done in a sustainable and ethical way too. So um, it's a long-term play versus a short-term play. Absolutely. And we all want that and we know that's the right thing to do. We just need to work out how we package that or market that for sure as the right way um, and become that international provider of yep. um, domestically it will be okay um, again it'll probably still be cheaper for us to get it from somewhere else yep. um, and we obviously have a little bit more um, as a country we would have a little bit more um, I guess control over that um, and and how that can be done well but it will just be I, I more just fear about that ability to compete internationally yeah, totally. And therefore want to be a bit quicker. Yeah. Okay. I want to change things up a bit. Um, well, not change things up a bit. Obviously, in your role, like I'm curious about what you see working right now in terms of client relationships and winning big projects. Like what's mm-hmm. what's working well at the moment? I think um, probably, probably nothing new to you yeah. as an expert in this kind of area. But... Um, what we know from from a from a bit of research and just from probably being around is that you know price is still an important um, criteria, I suppose, when we come to putting a submission or a tender together. But it's not it's not sort of as crude as that. It's not price. I guess it is value for money um, or some sort of um, value proposition that you can offer to that client. And I guess. The reason I'm careful with the words around that and to the point of your question about what do you see working for clients, it's not like cutting the ass out of your your um, fee. So no, because that that's not working right. well for a few companies at right. the moment. So it's not that. What it is is it's creating the relationship, like you say, or listening to your client to the level that you can provide them the optimal solution which brings optimal price, if that makes sense. And then being able to, we do get a lot of feedback or or we do find out when we are unsuccessful that um, perhaps the client didn't understand our unique selling point that we thought was so clear. 
and uh, you know yourself you'll write a piece of uh, a letter or a report or whatever it is makes complete sense to you because you've you've been living and breathing it for however long um, Mm. to develop it and then somebody else reads it and says you haven't actually said this and you haven't said that Um, and so that that's happened to us enough times that that we can identify how we need to peer review challenge and 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 those sorts of things but really it's probably in that value engineering piece um of really understanding the clients and driver of the, the project delivery itself yeah yep. and then turning that into something that is um fit for purpose for them but maybe depending on on the type of job and, and we work on quite a de- diverse portfolio here but it may be that this type of asset that the client is building might be new to them or it might not be their typical kind of, um, like I say before, bread and butter job that they typically do, but it's absolutely kind of building to their network or whatever it is that they that they um, manage and maintain. But we may have delivered something very similar to this in, in a different state or, or perhaps overseas or have individuals that are really um, skilled in the space. So it's about working in a way that recognises all the effort the client's gone to over the many years to bring this to market because they don't happen very um, quickly for a reason. There's, there's reference design and a lot of things that need to happen before we can we can turn up and, um, and tell them we have a different idea, right? And so you need to be careful in, in the way that you, you present these, these kind of things. But if you listen properly and actively to your client and what they are trying to achieve at the end of the the project delivery you can probably help them understand what's actually required at the front end um and in some cases that might be more than what the scope's currently telling you and obviously that's that's a trickier and more difficult conversation but when there is elements that you can um optimize or rationalize and and work together with a client um to to sort of realize that coming through in your submission um then you'll probably be a better chance of of getting the job i think um it's a tough game in construction and where we are right now. Like you, you will definitely lose more than you will win. Like that is just, everyone knows that, right? Yeah. So you, it helps build the thick skin. Um, and, um, but you, um, but I think what we've probably realized is that it's, it's, there's a few people here that are a little bit, um, just about the thrill of the chase and that that sort of keeps us alive I think in terms of going through some of these ones where it doesn't really come off or you think you've done your best and you always think you've done your best and you absolutely bust your butt to get um, these things across the line and it didn't work out for whatever reason and and, um, we need to pick ourselves up very quickly and get on to the next one and um, just keep kind of trucking I guess. Um, and so we, we do put a lot of time into our clients into understanding our clients and building teams internally from our resource pool um, that's going to deliver the best outcome for them. Um, But really you've got to be able to develop a solution that is going to get you past the post. Yeah. And there's a a couple of things in what you just said that I'm keen to unpack a bit more Mm -hmm. because um, I talk to all of my clients so much about, you know, we're so busy. The market is just, it's insane at the moment. Everyone is so busy and what seems to get left behind really quickly is this sort of um like the connection the communication piece with with key clients and we sort of go well we're delivering for them we're doing work for them um isn't that enough and it's it's i think we've got a great opportunity moment to really look at our top 
five or 10 or 20 key client relationships and go, well, we need to, we, if, if they're the type of people we want to be working for and with in the next 10 or 15 years, like let's, let's take a long-term view and actually go instead of just running around like headless chooks at the moment doing everything, let's be really strategic about how we approach those particular client relationships. Maybe there's some B and C clients that we choose to let go of, <clears throat> excuse me, now and focus on those bigger clients. Um, so I, I feel like it's a great opportunity to play the long game, but a lot of people are just playing playing the short game because we're so busy. Um, yeah. And I talk to my clients so much about, um, particularly in the bid process, in the tender process, going to that extra length around, you know, what I call in my, in my language, deeply understanding your client's world. And you mentioned before about you get feedback from a um, unsuccessful bid that you didn't quite hit the mark. What do you do then with that information? Like what have you sort of implemented within the, the team and the business to use my, you know, to use my, my words to, to better understand what your client's really after? Yeah. So there's probably a few different things in what you say there and, and you're right in that we get like this kind of full spectrum opportunity to work with our client from this very early phase where we are we are trying to win the work and then we get to go into this super long phase of delivering um, a job for the client and and I think typically we don't use that element well from a business development perspective or a relationship building perspective and it's kind of about ensuring that we are doing that kind of internal continuous feedback so that we aren't then in this front end phase that I that I essentially sit in writing and we're great at this and we're great at that and everything's awesome when we know perhaps that didn't go so great um, just last month or whatever yeah. for this exact same client. So we need to be doing that. We need to be picking up from this this great opportunity we have to spend years with our client and potentially those next decision makers and be picking up there what we do um, and it's quite typical is um, in terms of language is lessons learned so we will always undertake lessons learned reports um, and and sessions and and um, and elongated strategy sessions I suppose if you like um, post attender pre-attender and then you will invite we're getting better and sometimes we're better um in one in one occasion and maybe not the next occasion because like you say it depends on on busyness I guess but um you know if I was if I was tendering for a a job um say in Victoria and we had just done a very similar tender or delivery of a project somewhere else in the country I would be inviting those people to my very early launch session for that tender or for that EOI or for that 12 months prior to any of that stuff coming out and and essentially then um in that kind of relationship building phase, take those experts along with me to meet the client because they, and just to listen, they don't need to be, you know, I would never sort of overcommit that that person's going to be on your next job or anything like that because we're sort of talking 18 months, two years before we even um, are going to get a look at what the real true scope is. But just start that kind of um, getting to know you piece with some other experts and some other um, set of ears in the room to be listening from different perspectives and more technical perspective or a designer perspective or a relationship focused perspective and draw those elements together and offer to the client some of the lessons learned that that perhaps have happened on very similar jobs. And and I I think that's kind of the main thing is sort of like BD 101, um, which obviously was my background prior to to this role, and is still very much part of this role, um, 
that if you're going to ask somebody to meet with you for an hour and essentially you're going there to try and bleed them dry about that <laughs> next opportunity, what are you going to offer that person back for that hour? You can't just expect somebody to tell you everything um, without offering them something back. So it's always important, I think, when you're going to go to this meeting and I'll, I'll get to your point about sort of turning up just when there's a job as well because you can't be um, be doing that um, either. But always just I'm coming and these are the, the key outcomes I require for, for my role and for, for the company that I represent, but what can I offer back to this person for, for the time that they're giving me? And it is in those lessons learned and it is in those um different experts that you can bring from your business and introduce to this client because um, a lot of the time, and this is not very typical of our traditional road clients because they're very sophisticated in, in the procurement models that they put through, but a lot of your other clients are just, um, they're operators and they need the infrastructure asset to operate, but really the development or the delivery of the infrastructure asset isn't their core business. Their core business is, is the end of the day kind of stuff. So with those type of relationships, there's probably a greater avenue to be offering a lot more back from an industry perspective to, to those sorts of people. But then with your with your typical Rhodes clients, they, they um, do like to hear about your lessons learned and things that happened in, in very recent jobs and also interstate um, because they, they don't always have the time themselves as well to pick up on what's happening in Victoria, what's happening in Queensland. Is there a new contract model that worked well for you because we had excessive amounts of X risk or whatever it might be? So there is always something that you can offer your client back, but to, and, and you absolutely should, but to your point, you can't turn up six weeks before a tender that you just read about in the paper is about to come and say, hey, we're super keen because you will have some competitor that's been turning up for 18 months, two years, telling that person that they're very keen on that job and who's going to be winning the kind of non-price element at this stage um, will be the one who's who's put in that more time. And it's not about the relationship isn't built based on the project. The relationship has to be built based on the individuals and and. Um, and really mapping out how you're going to, like I say, best understand their need so you can develop that optimised solution that'll get you past the post. Yeah. It's not just you can't just turn up one day on this stuff. It's 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 a long burn. <laughs> yes, it is, yeah. And, like, do you have certain strategies in place for kind of key client relationships to continue to foster those relationships so you do get, notified of opportunities earlier so you can start to put things in place yeah we um for our business um we're lucky in a sense that sort of 85 90 percent of our business is government related True. work yep. so this needs to be very sort of publicly announced stuff nothing course, nothing yep. comes out uh, quietly <laughs> Um, which is which is of a benefit to our i suppose our relationship building and our business development effort um but in those more private clients, which we, again, back to that balanced portfolio, you absolutely want to be able to probably um, have a better balance than what we're currently seeing, but we're also indicative of the market. So we haven't had a lot of that private investment, but with these new um, resource sectors coming through now um, and off the back of that previous kind of oil and gas um, boom that we were having um, sort of whatever it is, seven to ten years ago, 
it has really just become very heavily a public client kind of um, market for us and especially those megas um, that I was talking about earlier. So that does make it reasonably easy if you read a budget and if you can read a budget without falling asleep, you will get <laughs> a four-year pipeline presented to you on a platter basically from your various state governments, your federal government, and if you're um, the right kind of sized contractor from a local government perspective. So, so you'll get a great deal of information from just tapping into those markets. And those, um, the public sector is also, um, they, they see the benefit engaging with you early as well and know that they need, need to have that level of engagement. So, so it is good um, in that aspect in that, you know, a big, used to happen back in the day, but a big $2 billion job isn't going to just walk right by and you're never going to see it coming. That's not going to happen. That right. probably used to happen back in that kind of um, when the oil and gas really took off um, in sort of um, 2005, early 2000s, up to sort of 2010, you could, something could just happen and you would be like, going to get killed for not <laughs> where did that come from yeah um and it would just be because you weren't in the room at the time or you weren't yep. seen as a pipe contractor or you weren't seen as this type of this type of um expert in in that field and and you'll just be like oh i better get the next one so um that was that was really exciting times i guess where you had to absolutely be pounding the pavement be out there with your clients and 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 constantly trying to request that meeting it's become a lot more sophisticated now I think in the way that business development probably occurs in in the construction market in that like you say there's strategies and there's different things that we employ to make sure we're tracking to make sure we're doing sort of you know buzzword but like the zipper diagrams to ensure that the different levels of businesses are, are getting to know one another and we have champions of our relationships in the business development managers and our and our general managers to some extent that are that are tasked with absolutely um, owning these relationships and ensuring that that the entire business is kept up to speed. Yeah. The other thing we compete on, and I mentioned about sort of having that optimal solution that drives a good price outcome, but we compete on people. So as mm. a big organization, I I tell the story of, of essentially you get a capability statement from my organization, the one I previously worked at and another one, you cover the logo, it's the same. It's got a very similar photo on the front. It's filled with very similar types of projects. Yep. Only thing that's different is that Josh works here or Lauren works here or one individual or a collective group of individuals that have worked on the exact same project or had the exact same challenge in their previous and overcome because and all that sort of thing is really the true differentiator. And you would probably know better than most and better than myself about the what the market is like at the moment for employing people yeah. and who is wearing the pants in that relationship and it is not <laughs> the um, employer. It is not. It is not. <laughs> so um, being able, and then, and then it's a, a merry-go-round at the same time. So keeping that very excellent person that is very good at certain things um, when you perhaps didn't win the job that they would absolutely love to see next on their CV, they're very difficult to keep. So you need to be able to create some sense of loyalty, retention um, and those sorts of things within your people so that yep. you, can, you can keep that key differentiator to your clients because yeah. they... They are dummies. They know the experts in this field. They know that um, that person 
is the person that they'll that will likely deliver their job no matter who wins it probably um but if we can keep them for longer in our business or forever in our business um, which would be the goal then that's the true differentiator that we can offer and these are the smart people that will drive that price outcome for you as well so yeah. it's um it's very much you know when you have all your pieces together and you're absolutely humming um in this kind of bid space and you've done all your great work with the client relationship and you're having interacts with interactive interactions with them throughout your bid phase and that's all going really well and you've got a great team that's sort of supporting you from here corporately as well you get this feel that everything's going great still yep. doesn't mean you win the job but you at least know you left no stone unturned and, and sort of nothing in the tank, which is kind of one of our um, key drivers that we just always aim or strive to, to achieve here is just nothing in the tank. You gave it your best shot. That's because a lot of things become out of your control, what a competitor will do, um, different individuals that may be evaluating your submission and those sorts of things. You just need to make sure you absolutely gave everything to that and then hopefully get the outcome you deserve. 100%. And it is all about people, right? You know, people like doing business with people they like. So it's about building an amazing team around you. And and it all comes into that um, culture piece, I think, because yeah. if you have got this team um, and, you know, they're not they're not easy to come by. They're not easy to build. They, they have to happen organically and that takes time. And... Um, and that's why you'll often see sort of groups of people move around eventually um, when when sort of things start to change or whatever because they know their their crew, if you like, and um, and that's probably more in delivery than in the space that I work in. Um, but when you do have this good feel, you get good outcomes. Hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. Um, I want to go to you, um, not personally, but uh, like. A, <laughs> You've been doing a lot more sort of what I would call real and raw posts on on LinkedIn, um, which is awesome. Um, I, I love to kind of you know break up break up the um, the staleness that is sometimes LinkedIn. But like, yeah. what's the driver behind that? Like, what's yeah, what's the purpose? Yeah, I guess um, I I made a, a pretty conscious decision a a little while ago. I think it was probably more at the start of last year that I thought. Really, I was just sort of thinking I'm, I'm, I'm doing something that I think is probably interesting. I think it's probably interesting to other people similar to me and I don't, I don't necessarily kind of mean female or a mum but I mean maybe not that technical background or maybe, maybe um, just busy and just getting a lot of things done <laughs> yep. in a day, um, balancing that in sort of a 50-50 partnership with my husband and, um, and our two kids and, and I just thought I'm going to put it out there um and and show people the real me um and and try to I guess essentially use it in that kind of you can't be what you can't see um frame yep. of mind if that makes sense so um I do a lot of work with um NAWIC, which is National Association of Women in Construction and to that point I made earlier about trying to get people through the system so that we can pop out and have the resources that we require to meet the huge pipeline of work that, that is coming for us over the sort of next um, five to 10 years, we need to be engaging better with 50% of the population. Yeah. And um, and that's not just reaching out to women, it's reaching out to, to men or the partners of women to help support them 
to to maybe take a, a change in field or or just consider something that that perhaps isn't isn't quite as traditional um, as maybe some other um, other roles that that um, we can take on in the work in the workplace. But I guess really it's really helped um, people see me um, kind of warts and all or just that kind of unfiltered I guess aspect because now people approach me more in a work sense for a conversation sure. um, they know that I'm um, probably going to yeah write back and and <laughs> pick up the phone and answer because because that's sort of the other thing that's come with putting myself out there you have to be ready to receive what might come back positive and negative um, which isn't which isn't always easy um, luckily a lot of people put positive especially I think that's the benefit of LinkedIn everyone's linked <laughs> to uh, their career and um, not necessarily going to be keyboarders on there um, and say anything terribly hurtful. So it is kind of a safer space than perhaps other social media platforms. But I guess, I guess for me, I just wanted to put it out there. Um, It's it's a bit of self-promotion as well. Like I'm really interested in in growing my career, developing um, a a long um, vision for myself in construction, but also um, to continue to grow a board portfolio, which I've been working on for the last 10 years as well um, and have been um, successful in gaining a couple of not, not-for-profit board roles um, but keen to obviously move that into more of a, um, of a portfolio and become kind of essentially that retirement plan for myself. Yep. Um, so, so there is that element and I, I'm um, not um, shying away from that as well um, but, but it's about I guess just just being visible, turning up every day, making sure people know what makes you tick, so that they can maybe, if that's if that's something that's of, of use to them, they can grab onto it and and take take it to a different level for themselves. So, um, I guess I, I did have an interesting comment from someone because I've done a similar thing on Instagram. So I've opened up my Instagram and, and do um, a lot of the posts that that are from LinkedIn or, or vice versa. I, I share them around a bit, obviously a little bit more professionally on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, more of the real raw data is uh, Instagram um, but but that was that was another part and, and somebody made a comment on one of my more recent posts about that they didn't feel like they had um, somebody that that they could look up to in the in the place that they were currently um, working that was driving their motivation and they felt like they were feeling quite flat because they couldn't see the next logical step for them and that that's exactly a situation that I found myself in a few years ago as well, probably about four or five years ago, and I was in the midst of, of having um, my kids and those sorts of things. And it becomes very kind of insular for you in that stage because people sort of, they they don't realise you may still want to grow your career when you're in yeah. that time. Um, and, and even though I had those plans in place to ensure that, like I said, the 50-50 partnership or my husband was going to take on the lion's share in the real baby phase, um, and those sorts of things, I had to spend a lot of time really promoting and telling people, no, I will be back and it's not, and I am still keen and all that sort of stuff, but I was still just getting this sort of ceiling, I guess. Um, and, and in when I was responding to this, this person from my Instagram, I just sort of said, I think what I, I did in the end, because I didn't have that person to, to look to that I felt like connected with, I kind of made up this person that, that I wanted to be and then strive to be them, which just sounds crazy. Oh, no, there's a heap of psychology that supports that. Yeah. <laughs> Is it good? Okay. Teach cool. yourself. Yeah. All right, cool. So that's <laughs> what I did. I'm being mentored by my future self. 
Yeah. Would that make sense? Okay. 100%. <laughs> so that's, it's a shame that it had to be that. But I think perhaps what I always felt with, with formal mentors and even sort of the more informal mentor relationships that I had, they weren't 100%, if that makes sense. I, was, I wasn't, I, you have to have multiple, I think, to, to piece it all together for what it is for you. But in the end of the day, you need to work out what it is you want to be in this future self, like you've just taught me. And then, so I'm just trying to be her. And she'll, she'll probably change a little bit as I work out um, the different steps as I go through, but sort of just created this, yeah, this not fantasy because I want it to be reality, but this person. Um, and then we'll build on all the other little bits of good information that I get, get throughout the time to do that. And so I think, um, I think that was really cool to see that somebody sort of just felt comfortable to blurt out that comment to me and, and, and say all these nice things about what I was doing and what I was showing them. Um, in my life, even though it's a bit, there's some crazy elements, but um, no, it's good. And I think I'm getting, yeah, it's good positive feedback and, and um, keen to keen to keep it going. Yeah, um, definitely. Content, the content keeps coming. It's happened <laughs> to me. So <laughs> um, that's good because that was probably one of the, if I'm going to put yeah. myself out there, what am I going to put? <laughs> well, it's nice and refreshing to see. Um, oh, like good, I said, yeah, I'm just, yeah, no, and I think it's, you know, this sort of stuff just happens slowly over time. Like you set out to make a bit of an impact. It won't happen overnight, but over time with that sort of consistently turning up, you know, you will, you'll be able to build that following and you'll start to have a positive impact on the lives of others. So it's, yeah, it's amazing to see. Oh, thank you. No, it's been good. I appreciate yeah, good. it. Good. Um, so Lauren, final question. Um, and I ask this to everyone who comes on the podcast. So with all of the, you know, the success that you've had, the learnings that you've had, all the things that you've kind of learned over the course of your career, um, say you're catching up with a 10-year younger version of yourself, what advice would you give to your 10-year younger version of yourself? It's a good question. Um, I think I think it would be best to just let her know that you you can be yourself so I spent a long time um probably trying not to be someone else but just mask a lot of a lot of um who I was I guess and and try to fit into a mold and and it was it was quite difficult because there weren't a lot of people similar to me um working in and around in around what I was up to so I think it would it would be like don't take yourself too seriously mate like one you're terrible at being serious all the time <laughs> um but but I guess the main thing I like I like to think is that you can you can be really good at your job without being this sort of serious person all, all the time that doesn't let anybody in and just just walks into the office sits down gets work done and leaves you need to be able to um be a leader in terms of creating the culture around you creating um an environment that people enjoy turning up to work in and if you're constantly worried what other people will think about you then you're not being your authentic self and you're not you're not bringing any sort of benefit to the culture of the people around you and I think it really like this is this is only super recently kind of like the last three to five years um that that I've really started to to harness this a lot better um and I think I think when you're sort of young female in a male-dominated um industry you kind of think I'll just stick to myself listen um, and you absolutely need to do all those things ask heaps of questions be be this complete new person 
um, as in I mean new person um, in terms of don't pretend like you've been here for 10 years or don't try to be um, some sort of genius of everything. Capitalise on the fact that you're new to the industry, ask heaps of questions, be very open that you don't know things because one day people will expect you know, you do know stuff and you won't have asked the question. And so you won't actually have the deep understanding that you could have gained from those people around you that do know what they're talking about. The amount of times I've asked someone what an acronym is and no one can tell me is like it's eye-opening, I suppose. So yep. it's that combination of recognise the part of your career that you're in. You're not expected to know everything, but you're also going to do yourself a disservice and burn yourself out if you spend all this time pretending to be someone else, whether that be smarter, quieter, louder, um, whatever it might be, better at one aspect and not so good at another aspect that you're excellent at. It's just you've just got to be a little bit um, kinder to yourself, I guess, in a lot of those ways than, than trying to fit into some sort of square peg round hole like we talk about a lot in construction. Yeah, 100%. Um, that's awesome. Not very concise, which also... <laughs> But I don't think the 10 years ago that Lauren would have listened to me anyway. It's funny, actually, the, the n- number of people I've asked that to and then they've said, but I probably wouldn't have listened to myself anyway. So. I said, shut up, old lady. What do you know? Easy for you to say. I'm new here. Yeah, I'm taking so, over the world. Yeah, yeah. Don't you know? I've got this sorted. Um, yeah. But I think I think the other, the other really key thing I would do for any young person in a team um, even if it, if it's not myself, but it's probably show them respect, turn up for them as well, um, because the amount of times you kind of feel like as as the grad or as as the more junior person shoved in a corner and like you're the only one um, that's grinding out a lot of things and and not invited to the certain um, whatever it might be because oh we only invite this level and above we do a lot of that um, in in these sorts of organisations and I think it's really um, about being open and, and making yourself available to the, to the younger people in the organisation because, like I say, it we don't have a whole We're like the second or third highest industry of um, for employment, um, but it's not like everybody's coming in droves to be joining the construction sector for various reasons and there's some sort of, um, you know, that we don't have the best reputation as being um, engaging and involving and, and warm and, um, and a place where we're going to nurture somebody's career and, and those sorts of things. And we absolutely kind of need to um, have a little bit of a rebrand on, on some of that as well. Yeah, totally. So that we can benefit from, from an abundance of people. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Lauren, I've loved our catch-up today. Thank you for being real, Thank raw, you. honest. Yeah, it's been great. Um, where can people follow along you on your journey oh so yes like I said I've got my Instagram which I think if you just look up Lauren Hickey you'll find me but my handle is lozdog2000 very <laughs> so good <laughs> the original the original one I put when when Instagram was first invented which yes, I am old enough for that and um and then obviously on LinkedIn which is just Lauren Hickey um which you can find find me there but I'd be uh, very happy if anyone joined along and 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 um joining the conversation basically that's all I'm trying to create Yeah, good. Well, thank you so much. It's been great. Really appreciate it, Josh. It was good to catch up again. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks. Hi there. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. 
Don't forget, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources. We'll book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. Don't forget also to hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Take care, my friends, and see you again soon.